want to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's a beautiful song, so full of truth. This morning, I'd like to read a few verses out of Isaiah. If you want to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. And the message title is The Good Shepherd. Simple title, yet profound in its meaning for our lives. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong, with strong hand, and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Beautiful passage. His arm shall rule for him. His reward is with him. His work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather his lambs with his arm, carry them in his bosom, gently lead those that are young. Beautiful picture of a, a good shepherd, right? This is, I was uh, looking at my message files after I'd completed uh I'm not sure that I've completed working on this message. But I was looking at my message files and, and saw that I think I'd preached a, a somewhat similar message a, a year ago. And I told uh, my father-in-law that the, the one a year ago looked a little more exciting than this one. Um, but this one comes out of a burden that I feel and, and uh, for myself. And, and the object of looking at the Word, of teaching the Word, preaching the Word, is, is to solidify our position, to make sure that, to encourage each other, and, and to keep each other um, um, prepared to, to meet the onslaught of the enemy. And I, don't think, I can't think of a better way of really encouraging each other and doing all the, the rest of what the body is to do other than focusing on the one whom we serve, the Good Shepherd. I don't. I can't think of anything better for me personally to, to encourage myself. One of the things that I brought back from Romania was a an appreciation for uh, shepherding, for sheep, for flocks, uh, the the livestock. Uh, Romania was not necessarily a Middle Eastern country, or maybe not the heart of of shepherddom, if you will. But uh, it was close enough to the eastern country, far enough into the east that uh, sheep herding and so forth were uh, had a distinctly uh, biblical flavor to them. In other words, when you, when you look in the Scripture and see what the Scripture says about sh sheep herding or shepherding, it, it, uh, there are some real ties there that I can, I can feel. <clears throat> when it talks about sheep folds, I can see a sheepfold in my mind's eye because we saw them there often. Rugged structures out in the camp, they called it, or in the fields, near the orchards, wherever, uh, made up of, of uh, saplings intertwined together and up, standing up about four or five feet tall. A uh, large enclosure, maybe the size, depends on the, the, the sheep herders or the shepherds, uh, how large a fold he had, how many sheep he had in his flock, but many of them were maybe about half the size of this auditorium. Some were larger. 
maybe as large as the size of this auditorium. And uh, also remember with, with pleasure, you know, taking walks and, and hearing the, the sheep bang and, and uh, hearing a, maybe a young shepherd playing a flute. There's one especially remember, he would play his flute and uh, be walking along and, and the sheep would just follow him along. It was, it was a beautiful experience. And so when I look at, at Jesus and think of him as, as the good shepherd, um, those memories come to mind. Uh, I'm sure there were shepherds there that weren't good, that abused their sheep, that you know had to herd their sheep, push them, uh, had to use their dogs to make sure. Maybe they you know, didn't, didn't make sure that they, their sheep were well-sustained, well-pastured. Because sheep on their own don't, go to the good pasture. They tend just to follow their own old track and they'll do that and do that until they erode uh, the ground and beat down the ground. And if they're left to, on their own, they'll actually uh, starve themselves because they just go over the same track again and again. Um, I, that's according to Philip Keller. And, and it was evident there that, that the shepherds had a, a, a game plan for their sheep. They, they, they moved them around. Um, and, and some of those herds were, or flocks were very large, large enough that it took you a while to, to get a feel for the size of them. I don't know how many hundreds or even thousands of sheep were in some of those flocks, large flocks that they moved all the way from, from uh, maybe northern Romania or from north further down to, down to the southern part of Romania, across the hills and mountains and so forth. Anyways, then coming back to this, the, the good shepherd is wanting, loving his sheep, taking care of them, feeding them. I don't know how many of you, what, what brought this to my mind here again recently in a real sense, uh, is I listened to this uh, debate, and probably there's a lot of you here that listened to this debate between Ken Ham and Bill Nye. I, I found that debate very interesting. And uh, I would say, if you get a chance, listen to it. But it was the wisdom of men versus the wisdom of God regarding the, the uh, different claims. Of course, I wouldn't see creationism as a, creationism as a claim. I would see it as a biblical uh, fact. I believe it. Um, and then the, the claim of evolutionism and you know, them, both of them, those uh, bringing forth their points of why one was right and the other one was wrong. And uh, li listen to that. I listen particular, with particular interest to, of course, you always would like to listen to Ken Ham. His accent is enough to make you want to listen to him. But other than that, he's, he's, he, he, he was very interesting. But I also was very interested in Bill Nye and hearing what he had to say and, and you know, what, what my, in my mind is what is he going to bring up that could possibly, um, you know, could possibly uh, put doubt, cast doubt onto creationism or a young earth claim. And I listened to his argument and, and uh, there were several things that stood out to me. Um, one was on the, what he considered to be the unpredictability of God or of creationism. He, he said, you know, you want to 
to look back and, and see behind, look at what's happened, and then be able to project that forward. And you know, if you do that with creationism, that viewpoint, why well, you can't you can't properly predict what's what's going to happen. And uh, there were others as well that you know it's not logical, it's not reasonable, and so forth. And, and I'm not here to to uh, I would have liked to hear Ken Ham. Uh, answers every question, but the debate was kind of short for that. And uh, after it was all said and done, some things ran through my mind. One is that that God is outside of the attributes of God. He's not predictable, is he? I mean, you look at God's attributes: His love, His mercy, His righteousness, His wrath, uh, and and so forth. Those are predictable. But uh, other than that, the the creation probably wasn't predictable. Acts and the, the work of the Holy Spirit there and, and the start of the church, that probably wasn't predictable. And you can't carry every, um, every uh, work that God has done forward and say, this is what's going to happen because of what happened there. Um, God is not, he's not uh, subject to his own well, he's subject to his own laws, probably, uh, but he's a creator, so that he's he can he he doesn't have to fit into a mold, um, and and so he creates, he sets into motion, and and uh, and other than his attributes, we can't we can't set, put God into a box and say this is what's going to be because this is what was. Um, but then, you know, I, I came to the end of that, 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 uh, came to the end of that debate, and, and I, I was ruminating within myself a bit, and with my children and my wife, and, uh, you know, I was like, well, what if the question came to my mind, actually before I went into watching the debate, what if uh, Ken Ham would lose? What, what if he was, you know, what if he was just, you know, pinned and, and he couldn't say anything to this evolutionist, this atheist? He couldn't respond. Then what would I do? Would that make me lose my faith in God? Um, and, and so there was this thing in the back of my mind. I knew that, that I felt like Ken Ham could handle the situation well. I felt like if I'd have been there, maybe I wouldn't have handled it very well. Maybe I wouldn't have been able to answer very well. But there, there's something so much more that was, was standing in my mind, seated there, standing seated there in my mind. And, and when I read across this passage in John, I was looking for it. It was like, there's, there's something that I'm looking for in the Bible, and I'm not sure what it is. And when I read across this passage, and it was, it's in John 10, it became clear to me, this is, this is the way I feel. This is why I feel like I do. And no matter if, you know, if Ken Ham wouldn't have been able to answer every question perfectly, I would still feel the way I do. John 10, and I'd like to, for us to look at this scripture. Perhaps I'll read it in its entirety and then come back and, and comment on it. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door in the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. The par- this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things which were spake unto them. Then Jesus said, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the sheep catcheth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also must I bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have the power to take it up again. This com- the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Moving down to verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye know not, because ye are not my sheep, as I told you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I believe I'll stop there. Going back to verse 1, Verily, verily, I tell you, and I'm going to be looking at this out of the NIV now, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs up in another way, is a thief and a robber. As I said before, in the Eastern culture, there's a high value placed on livestock, on sheep, on goats, uh, and, and on other livestock. But the sheep especially seem to stand out, especially for the Hebrew people. Uh, the wool, the milk, cheese making that came from the milk, the meat. Perhaps there's other things as well, but those are the ones I'm familiar with. These are all valuable parts of the sheep. Naturally, where there's a, a bank of value, where there's a fold, where you have sheep together in this fold, where there's that bank of value, there's going to be an attempt by nefarious people to, to tap that bank to take something that's not theirs. There's others that will climb in and they're thieves and robbers, Jesus says. The one who enters by the gate, he's the shepherd of the sheep. And this is a matter of right. He has the right to come into that sheepfold. The gatekeeper, he opens a door to the shepherd. The sheep listen to his voice. You know, I don't know if Jesus was speaking of a fold that was out in the... Uh, 
camp somewhere, out in the field somewhere, or if he was speaking maybe of a fold, referring to a fold there in Jerusalem where shepherds would bring their sheep for the Passover. Maybe there were a number of different shepherds' folds or flocks within that sheep pen. And, and they had a gatekeeper there. That's what I'm imagining. They had a gatekeeper there. And, and, when, and maybe they paid to keep their sheep in that, that sheep pen. And when a uh, shepherd came for his sheep, the, the uh, gatekeeper would certify that this man, this shepherd, actually had sheep within this sheep pen. And then you know, it would open up to him. And the, and the sheep herder would need only to uh, call his sheep by name. Call them out and they would come. None of the other flocks would come out. Only his own sheep would come. And, and the, this is... Uh, I saw this in Romania, but also uh, Philip Keller attested to this, that sheep are very smart that way. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll not listen to anyone but their own, but their, sh- but their shepherd. Uh, they know the shepherd's voice. And, and uh, he said he put a number of people to the test. You know, try to call my sheep. Try to say just the same things I do in the same way I do and see if you can't get the sheep to come. And he said that you know when they did that, uh, they can mimic his voice. They could say the same words, but the sheep would just look at uh, his friends that he had tried this blankly, just stay there, just be dumb. But when Philip Keller, Philip Keller did the same very same thing, that the sheep would step forward right away. They would come out. They knew the the voice of their master, the intonation, the nuance of his, his speech. And that's the way it is with Christ was saying it is with his sheep. They know his voice. They listen, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The shepherd has access to his sheep. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The shepherd can take his sheep out of the, the sheep pen going out to the field, um, pasture his sheep. They follow him. They don't, you know, there can be some person on the sideline trying to steal a sheep or trying to get some away. But they won't, they won't sidetrack. They know that there's, they, they really trust this one person here and they know that that's where they should be following. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I had to think of, what about us? The sheep do have a role in not getting lost, don't they? They have a role in, in keeping the stranger's voice strange. As, as human sheep, we have a role to play. We have a discerning role to play. Uh, if we listen to the voice of, of strangers, if we become familiar with them, if we let influences creep into our heart, into our soul, uh, maybe the stranger's voice won't be so strange anymore. And maybe the stranger's voice will become attractive. Maybe it'll even become commanding. And so we have a role to play in making sure that the stranger's voice stays strange and making sure that our shepherd's voice stays alive and real. 
Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not, did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Verily, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And here's an interesting passage. I think it takes us back to the Old Testament. Uh, Philip Keller explains it this way, and I, I, I think it's such an apt explanation uh, to Christ's blood, the blood of Christ being put on the doorposts that we read about in the Passover scene. Uh, Exodus 12, 13 says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And if you think about the, the uh, Hebrews there, after, at the time of, of after, at the end of those 10 plagues, the 10th one coming on, and how they knew that when Moses said something by this time, they knew when Moses said something that it happened. And uh, here Moses said that the firstborn of every household would be, uh, would be killed. And, um, you know, it must have made them feel pretty, um, want to be pretty certain that they had the blood of the lamb properly applied to their doorposts. And, and what a, an apt, you know, example for us, Jesus being Jesus' blood, the Savior of mankind, being on our doorposts, the doorpost of our hearts. I am the gate for the sheep. They're guarding and giving the sign. The occupants herein have been redeemed by my blood. They're not to be killed. When they go out, they follow the good shepherd. You know, I'm glad for the blood of Christ for on my doorpost, on the doorpost of my heart. I think of this with Easter coming up. It's a good time to be thinking about sheep, be thinking about the shepherd and all he's done for us. John 10.8, All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. There there were those that came before Christ that were there before Christ on the scene that said that they were the Christ or made themselves out to be great people. And this is not referring to the, the, uh, the prophets and holy men of God that God sent before. Um, these men all predicted Christ and, and, and spoke of the, the Messiah coming. Now these, Christ was talking here about people that were imposters that tried to to take uh, the role of Christ and Messiah. It says the sheep do not know the voice of the sh- the sheep know, know the voice of the shepherd, but they don't recognize the voice of the actor or the imposter. And and I believe that's because the imposter doesn't have the best interest of the sheep in mind, or didn't have the best interest of the sheep in mind. The imposter was selfish. He was out to gain uh, his own benefit. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. There's safety inside and outside of the enclosure thanks to the Good Shepherd. 
The enclosure offers rest. Outside, there's sustenance. Inside, there's of an, a sheep enclosure. If you if you ever see one, it's not a pretty sight, really. It's inside. It's uh, tends to be fairly nasty. That's where the sheep are are uh, holed up for hours, and there's a lot of manure. And and if it's the summertime, there's going to be flies, and it's going to be stinky. And uh, the sheep don't want to. The shepherd doesn't want to keep the sheep in there more than he has to. They just stay in there over. Uh, the nighttime hours, and they're out again. Well, I don't think that that's the enclosure that, that uh, I don't think the parable uh, fully follows parallel to our experience. Hopefully our enclosure is pure and spotless and in a good place to rest. Um, but what I find notable here is that outside of that enclosure, there's sustenance. God takes, the good shepherd takes his flock out and, and he takes us out. He puts us into places that are not necessarily in the enclosure, so as to speak, but places that where he calls us to, where we're called to witness, where we're called to uh, work and so forth. And he leads us there. He's, he's with us even in these places. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. You know, what a contrast. I, I, think, of, I think of this, this thing of, of human logic that was promoted so much uh, by the, the evolutionist side. Thing of logic and of reason, being reasonable. And I, I think, you know, when you look at human history and what... what what human reasonableness has done to societies, it doesn't stir my heart. I, I, I think of, I look at Russia. Yeah, I read the, we recently read the book, The Long Walk Home. And I would uh, encourage any of you to read that, that book. It's, a, it's an incredible book and it shows um, what happens when man lives outside of God and his purpose. And, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the absolute void of, of righteousness and love um, that comes when, when man is wholeheartedly pursuing his own reason and his own, his own uh, logic is, is not a fun or a good picture to look at. Here again, quoting Keller, he talks about the, the cougar circling the enclosure of the sheep. You know, the sheep sense, he talks about his own experience, and the sheep sensing that there's danger out there, outside of their enclosure, and you know, the cougar, he's, he's walking around and around, and, and soon the sheep are into a frenzy. They're stampeding, they're milling. And uh, at some point, they begin hurting and maiming each other because they're, they're actually running over each other. And he said legs can get broken, and and uh, a lot of other things happen when, when sheep start milling like that, when, when they sense danger outside of their enclosure. And in contrast, think of you know, when the good shepherd comes, he comes whistling along or calling his sheep by name or, or uh, whatever, whatever manner he has of approaching the sheep pen. 
The sheep relax. They know there's safety there. And and I think that explains a lot here. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. The sheep know that. The sheep know the voice of the good shepherd. And they know what the good shepherd means toward them. Good and not evil. The thief causes anxiety and confusion. The good shepherd brings peace and contentment. Now think of David, uh, Goliath versus David. Um, think of Goliath. Thinking of Goliath, or think of a thief, and and David as a good shepherd, a, t- a, a type of Christ there, and Saul perhaps a hireling. David, when he came to Saul, Saul told him, "You know, you're you're just a young guy. You're not able to just a young lad. You're not able to go out against this big giant, this this Goliath." And he's a big man. And David's answer to Saul was this. 1 Samuel 17, 34. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Look at the the, um, dedication there of David. He was willing to take on this man Goliath because he had the heart of a shepherd. He was willing to stand in front of his sheep and in front of his people to, to defend them. So different from the heart of a hireling or the heart of a uh, thief. And that's what the Lord did. That's what Christ did. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We were given a picture uh, by, by a kind family here in our congregation some time ago. One thing I... I've studied this picture a few times. It's a picture of sheep. There's, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful scene. There's sheep down the valley. And, and they're, they're grazing or laying down. They're peaceful there. Um, it's an early, it looks like an early morning sunrise. And that, the, the sunrise is beautiful. There's a waterfall. There's a cliff. There's rocks. And all of those are all those aspects of the picture are, are are stand out, are beautiful. But what what really catches your eye right away is not the sheep in the valley or the sunrise or the, the village, the quiet village down below, or even the the rock cliff that goes way up, or the waterfall that's so beautiful, but it's it's the picture of this sheep up there close to that waterfall. He's obviously in trouble. He's obviously not where he's supposed to be. He's way away from the flock. And then silhouetted kind of in that against the morning sunlight, there's this man with a, with a long rod and he's carefully maneuvering his way along the rocks toward that sheep. 
And he's giving his life for that sheep. You know, he's leaving, he's out searching, and that sheep looks like he's going to be happy to see uh, his shepherd come to his rescue. And, and also I have to think of my own experience seeing sheep herders out in the cold, the snow, the ice, um, night and day, literally night and day, being willing to just give themselves for the sheep, sleeping with their sheep. They had their dogs, a few dogs with them. And, and Philip Keller talks about, you know, sleeping with a 303 rifle beside him, beside his bed and, and uh, a flashlight and making sure that, you know, if, the, if he hears the noise of the sheep stirring to, to run out because of, of, of being concerned about cougar attacks. He had a cougar take some of his prized sheep and after that he always, he says he always slept with, a, with his rifle beside his bed. Um, you know, that's, that's giving your life for your sheep. But Jesus did that in such, you know, even in a more real sense in, in laying down his life voluntarily for his sheep, redeeming them to himself. The hired hand is not a shepherd and does not own the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and run, runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You know, he has no real care for his master's goods. As soon as he has a few coins jingling in his pocket, he's ready to move on again. And uh, why would he be willing to give his life, stand in front of his, you know, some stranger sheep and, and guard them? It's not really within him. He doesn't really have a vested interest in those sheep. He's just there to... Uh, further himself on his journey or, or whatever it is. But Jesus says, that's not the way he is. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. A good shepherd knows his sheep more than just that's, you know, the one that uh, you A and you B and so forth. And that's lamb C and so, and, and that way. But a good shepherd he, he knows his sheep in a way. When their sheep come through the sheepfold, he feels them. He, he can tell if there's, um, if, there's, uh, if, I mean, if there's there's a wound on them or, or something's not right with them. Same thing going back out. He's, he's feeling those sheep and, and checking them very carefully. He knows them by name. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he goes on to say, I have other sheep who are not in the sheep pen. I must bring them on also. And that's another beautiful thing about our good shepherd is that there's no distinction between race, between culture, nationality. He has, his sheep are, are spread all over the globe. They're Jews, they're Samaritans, they're Gentiles. And, and there's only one flock and, and the good shepherd knows his sheep in, in each one of those, those uh, locations and they're part of his flock. The sheep that tune their voice to the sound of the good shepherd are part of that flock. 
The sheep that know the good shepherd's voice, they're part of that flock. And then I'd like to move down to John 10, 29, yeah. Maybe 27 through 29. My sheep listen to my voice. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You know, a sheep that knows his master, but then just stands there dumb when his master calls for him to move on, is not a very helpful sheep. You might call, it, you might call that sheep a high-maintenance sheep. Maybe a sheep that is um, maybe going to be called out. I give them eternal life and they never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one's going to take a sheep out of the Father's hand. And that might sound contradictory to being called out. But at some point, God does give us the right of volition. He, he gives us volition. He gives us the right to choose, to choose whether we want to be of a fold or not. And He's going to pursue us. God's not just going to let us go. He's not going to let a stranger snatch us out of His hand, a thief or anyone else. But he's a gentleman and he lets us make our own choices. There is a security there, though, that God holds his own. He wants his own and he wants to keep them. I want to bring this to a close. I'd like to read 1 Peter 5 8 yet. Be alert, thinking of the sheep, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The devil's there. He is trying to get sheep. And he's trying to find... He's, go, he's going to try to make his voice... It says his voice can be... He can come even as an angel of light. Uh, and he's going to do what he can to, to uh, trick, to snare... And then thinking back about this, about uh, the beginning here was talking about the debate. What came back to my mind again was that my, the personal experience, the experience of knowing God, the power of his resurrection, knowing his way and how it works in our lives, knowing you know, the Ten Commandments, what they do for society, the, the truth of God's word, what it does for, for us, for how it changes lives and hearts. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can see the difference. It's observational. We can see the difference that Christ makes in people's lives when they truly follow Him. And that, my friends, is it means more to me than... Um, than anything else, what God has done for me in my life and how he changes me and how he sanctifies me and how he continues to work in my life means more to me than any logical argument. Not saying that that logical argument doesn't have a merit. Not saying that I enjoy seeing the, the creation um, projected, the creationism projected and and you know the people that I appreciate people that put their lives to 
to really figuring out how this all fits together. Uh, but much more to me is, is what, is what uh, the Bible does for our lives, what the Good Shepherd does for our lives as we make ourselves part of his sheepfold. God bless you.